All right, Ron. Can you read Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, please? Give me a minute. I'll give you three. Mm-hmm. Kevin, you're next. 22 through 33, Kevin. But not, just be prepared, not yet. 5 to... 5 to 21. 15... Yeah, I'm sorry, 15. Five, Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Kevin will follow with Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. You ready? Yep. All right. <clears throat> Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And sexual immorality... And all impurity or I'm, so, I'm sorry, Ron. Uh, I said five. Ephesians 15, 5, 15 through 21. Oh, sorry. My, my bad. No. I, Damien's here now. We're, we're ready. Uh, I just want to make sure everybody remembered. Okay. Before. Thank you. All right, 15. I got that. Look carefully. Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another at reverence for Christ. Now I realize, and Sheldon came in right on cue, that this was Sheldon's discussion from last week. But it's very important to look at that because that sets us up for what we're about to hear. What's the big thing? Probably, what's the big thing that we're talking about here? Two big things. Filled with the Spirit. What are the consequences of that from the Ephesians perspective? Children's churches, Sunday school is down the hall. Not this morning. Not this morning? So who do we got here? This is Ruby and Oliver. This is Nathan's oldest kids. Ruby and Oliver. Yeah, Nathan's kids are oldest. Oh, uh, okay. Ruby? Hi, Ruby. How old are you, Ruby? Eight. How old is Oliver? Five. Five. Six. Okay. You guys been through Ephesians before? <laughs> no. Not usually. Okay. All right, so consequences of being filled with the Spirit based on this passage are what? Four things, four big things. Sheldon covered them. This is a test. Submitting to one another. Okay, submitting to another one. That's the easy part, right? That's the last one. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What are the other three? Just a, just a reminder. We do this all the time. This is really a test of Sheldon's teaching, not about your guys' recall. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But you you were tight on the last time. You you rushed through these last time. I was paying attention. Any anybody thoughts besides Damien and Jeremy who have Ephesians memorized? <laughs> What's it say? You, you just read it. Go ahead and look at the passage and you can just read it. All right. Wisdom. Wisdom. 
What are the four things? You're right. You get you get wisdom. That's a consequence of being filled with the Spirit. But what are the four things relationally? I'm sorry. Maybe I should have been a little more clear there. How we treat each other. How we treat each other, both kind of horizontally and this whole concept vertically. I don't know if I like that example, but but I, I kind of get it. So what do we do? We speak to each other in Psalms, hymns, and various songs. Okay. Is this that easy or too easy, or, or am I just not? Giving not, thanks always. Okay, giving thanks, and then there's one more. Making melody to the Lord. Yeah, exactly. Those are the four things. Those are the consequences of being filled, you know, with the Spirit, you know, from this passage. Okay, these are not necessarily. I would probably put them in commands, but it's just a manifestation of us of what we can do as a result of the Spirit working in us as, as, as believers. It says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's one. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. So that could be like just a constant prayer all the time, right? Um, giving thanks always for everything in God the Father. We as believers can do that. Okay, we have the ability to do that. We know why that should occur. And then, of course, the last one, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, okay? So here, here comes an interesting thing. Remember what, what happens first in most of the epistles. We get, remember those terms we talk about indicative and imperative and whatever those, what, are, what, are, what does that even mean? So one of the things I can do with residents is I can start picking them, picking them, call them by name. You know, and Oliver, he's fine. If he can come up with the answers, I don't know how it's gonna make the rest of us look. Any, any comments on, on how that, how, what the typical order is? We all know that, right? What comes first usually? Indicative. Indicative. Kind of like here's the basis by which we act or think, which is sort of the imperative. But the imperative kind of suggests what? A law, right? Kind of suggests the law. But we as believers, how do we, what, what has happened to the law as believers? This is, this is something that one of the, um, commentary spoke on that I thought was interesting. He hadn't thought before. I'm just going to toss this out to the elders and pastors of the church to see where it goes. I don't know what they think about it. But I, I thought it quite interesting. Is is almost like the law, what does what does the gospel do to the law? How does it affect the law? You guys can't answer quite yet. Okay. Any thoughts? It fulfills it. It fulfills it. That's exactly right. And that's kind of the kind of the key to look at. So what, is that, what does that do in terms of the believers of how we look at it, how we look at the law? Like say submit or whatever it might be. How, is it, how does it look, how does it change us, change things, <coughs> how we approach it? Any thoughts on that? It's the launching point rather than the destination. Launching point rather than the destination. Okay, I'm a little, <clears throat> little lost in that. Go ahead, explain that a little bit. Instead of a prerequisite, it's a result. So it's explain that a little more. It's an outcome. It's an outcome of the gospel. It's an outcome of the gospel, um, and it depends on the Holy Spirit, not us. Filled with the Spirit, that this rather than this, and then maybe you'll get filled with the Spirit. Right. Okay. Good. 
You can't help yourself, kid. All right. Should we let Damien talk? Or it's up to you all. Okay. No. All right, Alan, if you said no, you got to come up with something. Okay? You got to say something if you say no. I would say that Christ has satisfied the demands of the law for us in our place. And we're now we're free to obey the law through his spirit's power. It's good. I like it. Free to obey. We have we we couldn't obey it without the spirit, right? There's just no way we could do it. It was impossible for us to do it. Now we actually have the ability to do it. I think that's what you're saying. All right? Being, Damien wants to say something else. You can fill it all in. Okay. All right. Any, before Damien speaks, anybody else want to say something? Yeah. We're trying not to let Damien speak. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. Here. That's why we're here. There's like a process as opposed to outcome. Process as opposed to outcome. Rather than focusing on outcomes. The process that leads to the outcome is, the process is right, the outcome. It just happens. Okay. That's good. All right. Damien wants to say something, I can tell. He's getting ready to explode. All right, Damien. Prior to the gospel, the law is a demand with consequences. After the gospel, it is fulfilled, and it is now a delight to do what God wants us to do. It is now, like David said, I love your law, and I meditate on it daily. Your law is a lamp to my feet. It is now that not that we must do the law, but that we get to do the law because of our love for Christ, for the Father who gave up his son for us. That's great. All great answers. I just, I just really like that. It sounds like you guys already read this guy's commentary, but I love the fact that the law actually seems to sort of change. Our perspective towards it changes as a result of Christ, as a result of the gospel. As Damien said, it, we can do it, or as, as Alan said, we can do it. It becomes a joy. It becomes a something that we look forward to and, and honor to. And it becomes, I think it becomes God's joy as we, desire to obey it because of the gospel. And another thing that it also does is is it actually becomes wisdom. That those that the law become is it's always been wisdom, but it's wisdom to those who understand the gospel. So I really I really liked it. That was that was the big point of point number two. Number one is the Holy Spirit and the changes we're almost done. We'll be done by 9:30 at least. 30 minutes to get everything through. So the law and the gospel distinction, I think, in this is it just it's just interesting to see. I never thought of this before. I'm sure you think about this all the time, but how it changes changes the law to us into something that now is a welcome. Like this is like kind of like all of Proverbs. Proverbs is interesting because it's kind of like you know you follow these things, and like this is how life works best. You know. I hate to, it's going to be a little difficult to say, but you know, husbands, you love your wives as life as Christ loved the church. This is how things in the family work best. This is His design. This is His design since when? When did it? When did this whole thing start? Creation is what Damien said. Now you you got to stop talking. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Got to give. All right. That's that's the rule here. Uh, guideline. 
gospel guide. However, actually, it's a rule. So, but you can kind of see that how this, as a result, the law becomes such a pleasure to, to, to and I think that's, you know, that's one of those mysteries that I think is very uh, just important for believers for us to understand and then communicate that this, these things are things that um, are unlocked for us to help us understand how life works best. And I think that's just a gift that we're given. All right, that's big point number two. So, uh, Kevin, you ready? Starting with 22? Yeah, uh, 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, Damien? I was just clear with Sorry. I just, okay, that's good to know, thanks. Raise your hand if you're gonna clear your throat so I know that it's not you, okay? So, I'm just teasing him, of course, you realize that, sort of. So, what is this passage about? Christ and the church. Exactly. Is it about submission? Is that the main focus of this? Josh says no. Why is Josh saying no? Reading his mind, right? You're his brother-in-law, right? Why does Josh say it's not about submission? I like that, Josh, because that is exactly correct. Because really what this is about is it's all about Christ and the church. It really doesn't have a lot to do with submission, even though it, it, it kind of talks about it, but it's using, it's using um, submission more as an example about the interaction between Christ and the church than actually, because do, do what, what's, the, what's the kind of the culture... Uh, What's happening in the culture in terms of husbands, wives, women in at, at this time in history? I know you want to talk again. Any thoughts on that? What what in other words, in, in this type of culture, do do wives have to be told you need to submit to your husbands at this time? 
You're not leaving, are you? Just going to the rest. Thanks. <laughs> not sure what to do, to do with that exactly. Any thoughts? Our wives. It's are, are, not a popular uh, supposition at all. Yeah, what are wives kind? Of, what are wives and women? This is best. This is that time. So when I say this, that's kind of what happened this time. You know, what, at this time in culture, in 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 the Roman culture, and even in Jewish culture, wives are kind of second class citizens, unfortunately, and you know. Uh, even uh, in the Jewish culture, wives can be considered, you know, almost disposable. Like if they don't want to, dis if they want to divorce, if a husband wants to divorce the wife, he doesn't really have to have a good reason. He can go ahead and do that. Um, so in other words, that, that kind of just, what I, what, the reason I bring this up is because it kind of supports the point of what Josh is saying. He's using... What, what I think Paul is doing this in this example is using the relationship between husband and wife to explain the relationship between the wife and between the uh, between Christ and the church. And what are the things, you know, because if you start at 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. He's, he, he when it goes ahead and describes a number of things that he that Christ does. It's almost like this is sort of backwards. In other words, if I, if I read, um, continue reading for her, that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or with wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So what is that? Does that sound like more of an indicative or an imperative? Where's Damien? <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Is that more of an indicative? Yeah, but that doesn't seem to fit the pattern, does it? Right. Doesn't seem to fit the pattern what we see. You know, usually when it says, you know, uh, when it says wives submit to your husbands, that seems like more of an imperative. But now we're getting into gospel talk again. This is all gospel talk where, you know, Christ, what we're describing is what Christ has done for the church. And so I think that's kind of an important component. Um, why, do you think you, why do you think you made it backwards like that? Any thoughts on that? That's kind of a rhetorical question because I'm not exactly sure either. Did we know much about the church and how the church should be run, you know, at the time of Ephesus? I look at that, I was kind of thinking we were, we were talking about this concept. It's like, you know, we're, we just started to kind of, we're trying to start a medical school over at Belmont. And we don't even know what we're doing. You know, there's kind of guidelines. But you look at that, you think about when the church is started, where do they, where do they get the, the concepts on, on how this should even run? And so my guess is people in the church probably didn't know exactly at that time. I mean, this has been several years after I think Paul was at, um, Ephesus, right? A number of years. I don't know how many. How many would you say? I forget. For some reason, three pops into mind, but I might be wrong. Yeah. Again, Paul's in prison as he writes this, right? But he had been there. I think he had spent about a year, several years there, 
you know, kind of developing the church, but I'm sure he couldn't quite answer all the questions that needed to be answered in those two years on how the church should run or how relationships should actually be discussed. So, again, it's kind of weird that this sort of pops into this into this area where usually, you know, indicatives tend to be, I'm sorry, where imperatives be more, are more of a, um, more present um, than, uh, imperatives are more uh, present than the indicatives. And so I thought that's, you know, kind of interesting. What do you, why do you think that is, Damien? <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. So. Uh, we, well, we got done, you know, before you left. Um, we're, we're talking about what we ended up talking about is you know the kind of 25 through I think about 28 all the things that Christ has done for the churches which is kind of more gospel talk than um, than imperatives which kind of what we kind of lead within uh, verse 22 why do you think um, and, and maybe both to both you guys why do you think that this was kind of interjected at this at this time because normally Second half of second half of books, you know, Paul is typically interjecting, um, you know, imperatives as opposed to indicatives. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Paul does uh, often in the middle of a thought jump back to the glory of the gospel, and here I think as he thought of it a way to explain what he meant by uh, husbands love your wives it, it just it just brought his brain right back to the gospel and he just switches gears and describes the gospel again and you know just to just to remind us later I mean it's Paul's stream of consciousness here but we know it's also inspired scripture so it's like switching right back to the indicative while you're in the mid-sentence of, it, of an imperative I, I think it just reads like that and in fact even later uh, he comes back and he goes on and on about the, the gospel and how things all got started and then verse 33 says however he jumps back he says but what I was the point I was making was that you know however let each one so to me, it's like he just stream of consciousness is so saturated with why we're doing this, you know, why any of this applies, that he just jumps back to describe and preach it again. Good answer. We can we, we really easily can say, okay, the, the book is neatly divided between indicative and imperative, but Paul never divorces the imperative from the indicative. And this is why he keeps coming back, coming back. He's like, hey. Don't forget what I've already told you. You want to know why there's these roles in marriage and why we treat one another this way? You got to look back. You got to look to what God has done through Christ in the gospel. You got to keep going back to it. And it's the, what Josh was saying earlier. It's kind of the concept of the you know not putting the cart before the horse. You got to you got to remember uh, as we talked about law and gospel. Yeah. The the law for the believer. We're now, no, now lo no longer under it as a source of condemnation, but as a delight. So it flows out of what Christ, what God has done for us through Christ. Good. I like it. Nicely put. Yeah, 
You want to say something? I can tell. Yes, sir. Please. So we say that this doesn't have anything to do with husbands and wives, but it's inside of a section that begins with walk in love. And then it goes to uh, wives and husbands, and then children and parents, bond servants and masters. So, like Jeremy said, we can't divorce the indicative from the imperative. He's definitely talking about husbands and wives, but it's, it's like the stream of consciousness. He's going through this and he realizes in the moment, wait a minute. <laughs> This is, this is way bigger than just husbands and wives. This is what Christ did for the church. And this whole husband and wife thing has always been, from the, from the outset, supposed to be uh, an, an expression of, of love and submission and care for one another. You know, the, the fact that Adam didn't do his job very well, doesn't change what it was intended to be. Adam was supposed to be the, the priest of the family, and he, he abdicated his role when he allowed his wife to eat of the fruit that the serpent told her to eat. Um, so now that we have a restored relationship with the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can fulfill these things because of our love for God, our restored relationship with God. Yes, marriage has always been a picture of Christ and his church. But still, if you love the law, do what it says. So husbands, love your wives and wives, submit to your husbands. The problem for hearers of this passage normally is that it's a matter of focus on the, what words pop out to us and what presuppositions we bring into our understanding of the passage. So someone who might have a, socio, a certain socio-political idea of what a husband and wife pairing looks like or a family order or whatever may, may look on the word submit and say, I don't like the way that makes me feel because it removes my freedom or puts me under somebody else or it or in their opinion, maybe even it's a bondage of some sort. When we look at it though, if we look at it rightly and we see husbands love your wives and then see that thread of love and then understand that a, 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 house, a family unit that is well ordered the way God intended it to be is not burdensome, but a joy to be a part of. And then in knowing the joy you have in that family unit, you can then look upon your family and the families of others who are following after Christ and trying to do God's word in that way because of what the Holy Spirit has done them, um, they have joy because they look to God and understand that God loves them this way because they're part of the church. And then that also is a way of expressing the gospel to the world when a family is functioning like it should have for the glory of God. I'd almost argue that. I, I agree with what you said. What's nice about things like the gospel is that I think uh, um, the gospel kind of changes the whole concept of, of uh, submission into actually that is freedom. Mm -hmm. when, we have, when we have freedom to, to submit, 
uh, willfully submit, you know, to another person, uh, that is actual freedom in gospel's eyes, which doesn't make any sense. I, I even my head can't quite kind of struggles a little bit with that concept, but that is actual freedom. Let's just talk about submission, and we're not talking about wives submitting. Let's just talk about submission just in general for just a second, since that's always that tends to create a little bit of angst in people. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk about wives and husbands here, even though that's important. But submission's all around us, right? We have to submit all kinds of things. Anybody here not submit to gravity? <laughs> it won't last long if you try not to. <laughs> yeah, maybe Michael Jordan. He's the guy who could probably do that the most, or any high jumper. I mean, there's all, all sorts of submission that occurs. Authority over God has authority over man. Man has authority to a certain degree over nature. It's creation. He's told us that. Not like wind and stuff like that, like we might try. Husbands have authority over their wives. Parents have authority over their children. Governors have authority of those they govern. Govern Employers have authority over their employees. Spiritual leaders have authority over those they lead spiritually. Leadership in the family is a divine appointment. Husband is the servant of the household. Um, what is, you know, the, if you look at dictionary.com, uh, the definition of submission is to give over or yield to the power or authority of another. Number two is to subject to some kind of treatment or influence to present for the approval, consideration, or decision of another, to yield oneself to the power or authority of another. Um, what are, you know, even from a Christian perspective, what, is, what are some misunderstandings about submission? One of them would be, you know, submission suggests, you know, inequality, which is not true. God clearly states that. That is, that is not the case. So there are other things that you can think of that are some misunderstandings about submission. Not a rhetorical question. Just a quick comment springboard off the first example. Sure. Is that... As you said, the Roman culture at the time, it wasn't it, 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 a matter of inequality. Yeah. It was. There's it like, was, yes. You're here, I'm here. Yes. That's why you must submit. But we see in the, the creation account that he made the male and female after his own image. Right. There's, there's equality. There. Equality. It's a loss of autonomy. Good. Loss of losing autonomy, losing one's identity. Good. Piggybacked off of Erica's answer, but just that the assumption is that submission is somehow oppressive. Right, oppressive. You keep going back to those things, uh, Devin. Doesn't allow for people to be used, doesn't allow for blind obedience. Um, you know, um, trying to think, give me just one second. You know, it talks about, you know, wives submitting in everything to her husband. Well, wives should submit to everything, right? Everything that's biblical, everything that's uplifting, shouldn't allow, uh, shouldn't allow any sin to occur. So it's not. So in other words, not not just simple passivity. Um, I think too. I think. 
submission is an attitude, so you can demand obedience or I, you can demand act, certain actions from someone, with maybe with consequences, but, it, but I don't know that you can actually demand submission because you don't know my attitude. That's just a thought. I think submission is a attitude, not a action. Well, and with that, which, if I'm jumping ahead, apology. I think with submission, people will submit to people that they respect. And there's a piece of it where the man's supposed to create a place where they have respect of somebody. And I'm thinking of the people in hierarchies. If I respect them, Submit. I may disagree and I'll voice my opinion, but I know that they make the decision and that works. Yeah. How about submitting to someone who maybe, uh, and it, part of the difficulty in submission is submitting to someone who's imperfect. How do you do that? It happens in my house all the time. I mean, imperfection on one side. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But how, how does that, I mean, you know, that's that's difficult to do. But does God still work through that submission? God's more likely to work through submission to an imperfect person just because that's how he works, you know. He doesn't always necessarily, rarely does he work through big power. He can do that, like changing weather and stuff, weather patterns and things like that, stopping the, stopping the sun if he wants to. But most of the time when he works to, to uh, promote his uh, precepts, his purposes, he does through, through things like submitting to a imperfect person. Larry? Yes. I think also where the scripture goes on to say that wives are to submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord. And I remember as the Holy Spirit was teaching me about my lack of submission, um, that was something I had not realized that when I don't submit or I didn't submit to my husband, I also was not submitted to the Lord. And if I wanted to know um, more about, because what he showed me was I was good at conforming, but I wasn't submitted. And the blessing for me came when he showed me submission and that in so doing, I didn't have to worry if my husband was wrong about something and I thought I knew more than he did about it and we needed to do it this way because he was gonna handle that and he always did. And and usually he was he was right on. So it, it was just to, to understand God's power in in transforming us through the Word and by the Holy Spirit, that if we say, "Wow, I, I don't, I see what you're saying. I'm conforming. I'm not, I'm not submitting from my heart." And who knows that except Him and me? And I didn't understand it in the beginning until He showed me. And so, I just—that's where the, the real, I think, rubber hits the road is that we we begin to realize the freedom we have in that. We don't have to take the place that God has given our husband. He's going to take care of that. And we need to take the place he's given us so that it doesn't lack. And he's going to take care of that too. So. 
can stop here. Nicely put. I mean, I, I, you said it so well. I mean, the fact that all of a sudden you had this freedom once you allowed submission to occur, I mean, I, I think that's so important. Another thing that you, that you, you said, maybe if I could just put it in words, is it, it, there's a matter of trust, there's a matter of faith. It seems like submission requires faith that God is in control, that he will take care of me just by the fact that I'm being obedient to who, or, and submissive to whoever it is that it might be, whether it's husbands or leaders of the church or traffic laws. Traffic laws are mostly pretty good. Speeding seems to have gone out there, but I can see where it's important. All right. Thank you, Erlene. I think that's a great example. That's beautiful. Who is the so the commandment for submission? What 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 do we do if if a if we're not submissive to each other? Who enforces that? Who's the enforcer? We talk about the church in, in talk, the church if we're not submissive in the church. If we're not submissive to whoever whoever we're supposed to be submissive to, I mean, you know, if we're not submissive to traffic laws, who enforces that? Police, right? Former police. You don't. You can't do that. I, I can't do it anymore. Can't do it anymore. <laughs> In the courts. In the courts. But what about other things on a on more of a spiritual level? Things that happen in the household. You know, what if a wife doesn't submit? Can a husband say you need to submit? Wouldn't do anything. Doesn't it doesn't say that though. Never says what does it say? What does it tell the wife, the husband to do? Love the husband. Love your wife. I think it's gonna be the Holy Spirit and the Word are the two things that I see are the things that are going to have to convict. And I don't want to use wife as an example overly because it, it, it goes with everything. You know. I think what he did was to give each one of us, because he knows how he made us and how he's remaking us, and he's told the husband something to do that needs supernatural power to do, and he told us to submit because that requires supernatural power for us to do and somebody to make us both willing and able to do it. I think what you said is another thing, if I could rephrase, you know, biblical submission, we can't do on our own, just like we can't do it. Faith, we can't, just like faith, we don't have our own faith. It's a gift. I think, you know, biblical submission is a result, as we said kind of at the beginning, is a result of the Spirit indwelling us, empowering us to do that. So we need to, you know, whatever, when it starts talking about walking in the Spirit, being sensitive to what the Spirit wants us to do, uh, you know, help us pray to to be submissive in the ways that He wants us to be submissive. So I think those are those are those are good things. And again, I think submission, on the contrary, to the world thinking, frees us up. It's kind of like giving up your rights somehow gives us freedom. Like, oh, yes. I don't get that. That just doesn't make any sense. I can't compute that. Oliver, I'm sure you can compute that. All right. So what happened to the marriage relationship after the fall? Remember, what was the design? The design still still seemed to be, at the, at the time of creation, I think it was man was the head. He was created first. 
Um, he was also told even before Eve was made out of at made from Adam about the rule. There's only like one rule: don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And Eve wasn't even around when that rule came about. So he was the guy who was responsible to either communicate that or to effectively act on that. And so then Eve came around. Now, Eve was created, lots of reasons consider why. You know, was, 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 was man imperfect? No, but God felt that he needed, what you said before, an equal. You know, yes, he could communicate with God, and that, that relationship was good, but man felt that even and even after he had, he uh, named all the animals, he still felt he was he needed an equal to complement him. Okay, so that was the design. It still seemed to be that that was the design of God's that that man was the head of the household. Why? How do we know that? Well, I think I mean you could use those arguments I just talked about, but who did God go to after the fall? And the fall occurred. Went to Adam, right? Who, who actually kind of initiated the whole process? Well, Satan did, but through Eve. And so she, she sort of was the person who kind of initiated that. Yet Adam didn't do much, and yet he was held sort of responsible. And still, he's considered to be the head, the, you know, the, what's the term that's used? Federal head for all of mankind. Josh. What I find really interesting about that account, at least is how, how I've read it, is whenever the, the serpent is deceiving Eve, and he's using the word of God against them, uh, Eve, Eve responds to him with, you know, like, well, we're not supposed to do that. You know, we're not supposed to even touch it, right? It's like already the seeds of Pharisee are existing um, it's like like you were pointing out like what was Adam doing he was not supposed to you know act on that word and um, as Jeremy pointed out the, the Roman culture is so upside down we could say uh, to how God intended it and the gospel flips everything right side up. So whenever we're talking about Christ in the church, we're talking about rather I should say when we're talking about husbands and wives, we're talking about Christ in the church that um, we're, we're designed to be image bearers. That was you know, part of the reason of creation Work and heat the garden. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Um, and then the deception comes in, and everything is just flipped upside down. So the the gospel flips it right side back up, and it's like, love your wives. Well, how do I do that? He's gotta he's gotta expound on it because if you're left to your own, kind of like Devin's saying social, political kind of understanding, you're going to get love misconstrued and all off. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. <clears throat> Thanks, Josh. Yeah, I mean, this really puts a lot of pressure on on the guy. I mean, his, his job is you know pretty pretty clear, loving, serving, caring. <coughs> he God designed the a complementary relationship between husband and wife. He has to negotiate that, um, which, well, I better not say anything. Um, can be somewhat challenging, as any husband probably knows. A good manager, which he's, his job is to you know, manage the household, is to create an environment which each person in the household uh, can achieve his maximum potential. Um, again, not so easy to do. Um, but again, it's, it's his command and his responsibility, and, he is, and God is going to go to him uh, as, being, as the person who's being held responsible for that, response, for that uh, activity. Um, all right, I am done. We are 10 minutes, 8 minutes early. Any other questions related to this particular text or discussion? Just make the comment that the just just as Christ points out in the Sermon on the Mount, our inability to perfectly carry out the law, that even even our thoughts are already guilty of of each commandment. But the the marriage, as we think about these roles, because we're sinners, we're not going to be able to perfectly husbands are not going to be able to perfectly love their wives. Wives aren't going to be able to perfectly submit or respect their husbands. And yet we're called still to live in harmony with one another in that understanding of grace. So there's, there has, as we submit out of reverence for Christ, as uh, we do these things because of because of uh, what God has done for us through Christ and the gospel, we <clears throat> recognize that we're going to have to be showing one another grace. Uh, it can't be well. When you love me perfectly, then I'll then I'll respect you. That's never going to happen. Any other thoughts? What's number four? <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep us interested. <laughs> what number four? <laughs> well, I was thinking about just the relationship between submission and respect. That there's there's something there. Um, and I'm just thinking of the times that, um, like, there's people that I would respect, and they would tell me to do something I'm thinking also it's like with God in terms of and man in terms of people who make fun of or the spaghetti monster in the sky that sort of thing where it's like they're ridiculous there's no respect there so to submit or follow any of those rules that doesn't make sense like why would you and um, there's people that that I would respect and they would say something that may not make sense but I'll do it because there's there's an aspect of trust there's I don't know, it, there, there's there's a lot into what like what is respect. There's components, and so there's a piece where I don't understand it, but I'll do it because there's like some reverence. There's some there's something there that I'm willing to like take the lead, their lead. And then sometimes you find out later it's like, well, I'm glad I did it that way. Other times I will no, and then you find out okay, there was a point to that. So just there, there's that there's that interaction I think between submission and respect that um, 
hook, you can get real submission without respect. You can get somebody who um, complies. I don't think that's submission because I do have to stay all the time in terms of things that I have to do. I comply because that's the least you can expect from anybody's compliance. So there's a lot of times I comply and I'm not submitting. Because right. uh, I think, back to saying it's an attitude where you willingly, like, yeah, I'll follow the lead as, as opposed to saying compliance where I don't understand, I don't respect it, um, diminish you in some way. But I understand that there's penalty for not following the direction, so I give you the minimum. Just I think there's a lot in that dynamic. But this text <coughs> starts off by telling us to be filled with the Spirit, and that being filled with the Spirit, empowering us to submit, kind of tells me that <coughs> maybe the opposite is also true. I don't. I don't really need the spirit to empower me to submit to somebody that I fully respect. That seems kind of natural to me, you know, in a sense. But I might not necessarily respect uh, someone else that I need to submit to. And I, that's why I need that supernatural empowering to do that. And yeah, I'm still going to have wrong thoughts, but, you know, just the flip side of well, even with that, is it gives like an, an ideal situation that we can think of all the times that, whether it be husbands or bosses or other people, where they're a jerk, and then you're supposed to submit. It's like so. Whenever you deviate from what the ideal is, then there's all sorts of permutations of, well, how do you do it under this circumstance? Which is exactly what I think Alan was saying in those circumstances where there's even a slight deviation. We need the Holy Spirit's power to be able to, to put ourselves under that person. Give respect to whom respect is due. Give text to whom taxes are due. Well, because otherwise it's just, I, I, I get the glory because you know, I did. Yeah. All that also presumes that there's something good connected with it because I'm thinking some somebody who has authority over me tells me something because I've had that happen when I was younger an adult told me to do something that I knew was wrong you do it and submit because who they are or do you recognize that I don't think that's right and so there's a piece of it where it's not simply just submitting because of somebody in their position at least in my opinion there's part of it is is it good? Is it wrong? There's there's some other components to it. So, um, and I guess, and that's where we could have discussion about when do you just submit, even though it's wrong? It's like Christ submitted to for all of that to happen. He is totally honest, but he he allowed all of that to happen. He could have stopped at the point for a purpose. I'm not sure that that's exactly the same thing as situations we find ourselves in. I guess he was submitting more towards God's purposes, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Which were higher than the authority of the government at the time. I guess. That, I, I guess maybe that'd be an argument that I, I yeah. guess that I would make. You know, I, as you said, as you guys were both talking, I was thinking one of the things that we've been doing at work. Um, I kind of lead the prayer meeting 
every week we get together and pray. And we've been, we've been praying through, we've been using, I don't know if you guys know a guy named Don Whitney, kind of a friend of church. I don't know, how long have you been going here? 2002? I think he's been here since then. But he, he kind of gave us, a, uh, came to church and was talking about this concept of praying through scripture. And the reason that what, what you guys are saying is, is that we can use scripture to pray and expect results because of that. You know, God, help me to submit, help me to respect this person, you know, based on you, you have commanded that, you know, in this scripture, you know, where it says, submit to one another. Lord, it's finding it very difficult for me, you know, to do that right now. But because of your word, you cut your command, help me to do this. And so he did what he just uses scripture. He, he likes to use Psalms, but he, he also uses some of the letters to help, you know, you help justify why we, you know, to, uh, uh, to help justify and, and using those prayers to pray for very specific things such as, such as that. And so you're right, Alan, I agree. You just, you, when you don't want to do it, you can't feel it. You don't respect the person, but you know you ought to do it because Christ commands it. You got to depend on, you know, the only other option is to, to, to pray. I don't know about a source of, I, there's not a source within myself I know that can accomplish that. To, back to what Jeremy said earlier on that, we're never going to do any of these things perfectly. We're, 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 we're broken, weak vessels. I, I understand it. I, and I do think it's good to wrestle with the, the ideas of am I submitting? Am I doing what I should? Am I, you know, it's just at the same time, while, while struggling through that, while having that inner warfare and how we relate to others, um, it's also important to always remind yourself that the Holy Spirit is with you and that um, God accomplishes His work through broken means like His church. And sometimes when we think we're not doing as well as we should, unbeknownst to us, God is getting the result He desires out of our life in that moment. Just for the record, I was done at 9.50. It's now 10.01. You guys took us there. Damien, well, that's not Genesis. Damien wants to talk. I don't. I'm good. I'm good. Any other point? I really appreciate everybody's uh, participating in conversation. Thank you very much. Any other thoughts before I pray? Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you, Lord, for... Um, your word for your spirit uh, for the, your son who because of his work even on the cross now we can pray to you Lord and um, thank you for um, just this um, understanding of uh, submission understanding of you know uh, what Christ has done for the church and how we as husbands and as wives uh, respond to that um, uh, respond to that message. Uh, respond to those actions, Lord, because He say He died and is sanctifying us, and He loves us, and He's given Himself us for us to present Himself ultimately back to Himself, Lord. Just thank you uh, for this truth. It's a mystery still; it's hard to understand, Lord. I, I think as we all go through difficulties of submitting and respecting those in authority over us, that You would give us strength. We do know that you do it imperfectly. We do it imperfectly, and we just uh, um, just thank you for, you know, Christ's 
worked for us on the cross to, to cover up that. Help us to, um, this week, uh, again, to um, fulfill your precepts. Help us to be obedient, Lord, to your word. Help us to enjoy and, and just find glory in our obedience to you. Just pray for the picnic and uh, the uh, upcoming service that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.